Welcome to the eSuccess Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical worlds of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 198, we speak again with author, cornerman, and new TEDxer Raymond Poole in part one of our Speaking Upward series, The Backstory. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at e6s-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Ray Poole is a husband to Rebecca Poole, who was born with cystic fibrosis. A graduate student of the University of Connecticut with a bachelor's degree in mechanical and materials engineering and later Indiana University with a master's in business administration, Ray has recently worked as an engineering manager and a product manager in the electrical industry. Ray became involved with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and was named Milwaukee's Finest and is a member of the CFF Leadership Board, chairing the Tomorrow's Leaders Group for Young Professionals. Ray holds a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo and has trained and competed in several martial arts, including Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, which influenced the title of his first book, Lessons from a CF Cornerman, 38 Lessons I Learned During My Wife's Illness and Lung Transplant, which is available on Amazon. To learn more about their story, hear Ray's TEDx talk, or to get the latest updates on new projects, visit www.cfcornerman.com. Find all social media links and enter your email address on the contact page for updates. Also consider checking out our last interview with Ray Poole in episode 143, Focus from a Cornerman's Perspective. So, um, so I, I am recording, but we don't have to necessarily get into the topics. Just, uh, you know, how's everything going? Oh, it's been going well. It's been going well. We actually just got back from Pittsburgh at uh, about a quarter after six. So we've been uh, up there for an appointment. Everything seemed to go pretty well. And, you know, it's like every time you go up for an appointment, you're always kind of fingers crossed. But we knew that she was feeling pretty well going into mm-hmm. it. So, you know, so we've been uh, pretty fortunate with that. That's uh, that's really good to hear. So, I, you know, I, I bought your book oh, probably about a year ago, as soon as it came out. But uh, I actually just started reading it. Uh, before um maybe a week or two ago after you know i was like oh i'm gonna speak to ray i really ought to really ought to read his book <laughs> i bought it but i ought to read it so yep. you know uh I, I just i think i'm i'm uh i'm coming up to to new year's i'm coming up to new year's so i was getting the story behind all your um you, you tripped up trip up to the mountains i think I, that's the real the real one that i um just got through is the the story of gotcha. your trip up in the mountains so you know it, Based on what you said, you can kind of tell when things are going good or, or going south. You've got the signals down by now. Yeah, yeah, you definitely you definitely get a sense of it. And it's yeah, it, it is interesting though. It's like I've got a stack of books here. I've got three of them that I've started, and it's just you know, it's always I you know I I always try to make fun of Rebecca because I'm like you buy all these books, but I've got the same stack of books in my in my office. So it's uh sometimes it takes it takes a little bit to to get started on them. Well, you don't have time to uh, to read anything because uh, you're too busy writing. I think. Yeah, I think that you know that's definitely part of it, and you know between between that and some of the other things I got going on, it's like you know it it it's not that it's not that you feel like it's 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 not valuable, but it's like you know you've got just got to finish these few things first, and they mm-hmm. just never never quite get uh, get completed. Unha- a little bit unhappy to find that you decided not to pursue your own podcast. Yeah, you know, well, I'm like I say, you know, I haven't totally ruled it out, but uh, but yeah, I've I've been I've been kind of 
I've thought about it before, but I just haven't really had the the. Uh, it, it hasn't risen to that level on my list yet. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, if maybe so, I didn't get into podcasting until I was kind of an avid avid listener, and then it was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, for like two years, I'm I'm listening to him. I'm like, I could do this. I could do this. I should do this <laughs> about Lean and Six Sigma. And it, it took me, you know, two whole years before I even asked my buddy if he'd be willing to do it. And then, um, but I got to tell you, it is a uh, you, you're probably aware of how this works you know you put something out there and and you're not sure anybody's looking or listening <laughs> yep, <laughs> just yep. like what am i why am i doing this but yeah it's, so how have books tricky. book sales been uh books book sales were were good i mean you know it, it's you know as far as as far as how much i sold i think i probably sold significantly more than the average book sales for somebody just launching with their first book self-publishing mm-hmm. um but um but, you know, I ended up spending pretty much all of that in marketing. And then I ended up finding an avenue in speaking. And in one speech, I ended up making more than I had in all of my book sales. So it's ah. it's kind of a mixed bag. It's like it's one of those things where you get excited because you feel like, OK, you know, this is a good product. This is something that's interesting to go forward with. And then you see an opportunity that's a bit of a right turn, but it's still along the lines of what your goal is. So it worked mm-hmm. out pretty well. So if you don't mind me asking, what is the, the going rate for a keynote? Um, for, I'd say in the beginning, anywhere from three to five grand, mm-hmm. you know, I, I landed somewhere in the middle of that. Um, but you know, for, for my first one, um, but uh, again, it's the whole market. I've struggled a little bit in trying to see, you know, where, you know, how to get in. I've ended, I ended up getting some of my speeches or, or the, most of the opportunities I've seen are through my network. You know, which is what you would expect, but CFF. Yeah, through the well, even even through my professional network, I spoke oh, okay. at the Spectrum Brands Technology Summit, and oh. the the whole nature of my speech there was this new book that I'm working on, where I'm kind of uh, drawing parallels between issues you see in the hospital room and issues you see in the workplace, particularly with project management. And I kind of and I gave a speech that that oscillated back and forth between those two topics and went mm-hmm. through. Kind of, a, you know, the, their project management process, like, you know, I mean, I, I've used Demetti most of my professional life, but they used um, Demadvi, right. you know, you've used Demaic and, um, you know, something called Advance. So there's a lot of different methodologies. So I was able, I just kind of, I put mine in that context, but essentially it's, it's a similar process regardless of what you call each step. Mm-hmm. How many free engagements would you say you had to do before you, you got that, that, that uh complement with a paid engagement i probably a dozen probably yeah. a dozen or so yeah but uh but you know i you know i i still would put one or two kind of in the middle where i didn't get paid to do i did a speech at uh cfri i did the uh kickoff speech at their annual education conference i didn't get paid for it but they paid for my my travel to come out there and it was a whole weekend and and you know some great connections and that sort of thing so you know it's you know a lot of times it's you know, it's 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 also an opportunity to connect with people to potentially uh, sell some books and some other things. So, you know, you kind of take it for what it's worth. And it was it was good. But uh, but ultimately, you know, I'm I'm not seeing as many speaking opportunities as I was hoping for when I first got into it. But at the same time, it's like it's a skill set that I was glad that I had a chance to develop. And right. it's you know, it's something where, you know, a lot of it just, you know, you have to build over time and, you know, it just takes a, you know, you know, I think it takes a, a certain kind of focus to try to find those opportunities. Right. 
So when you wrote the book, were you expecting it to be a seller on its own or did you know, did you expect it to be your, your rather lengthy business card? <laughs> no, I, I, I expected, honestly, like I really wanted to just share a message more than anything. I wanted to talk to so many people. There are so many people with cystic fibrosis that struggle with time in the hospital, a loved one in the hospital. And then when you end up in the ICU, you see all these other families that were even less prepared because the illness caught them off guard. Mm -hmm. And we ended up in so many conversations and waiting rooms and that sort of thing. And in addition to wanting to say what worked for me, it was also nice just to say, hey, here's a story where the odds were against us, but it ended up working out well. You ended up hearing so many stories there where it's like, well, you know, this is what your expectation is. And you're going online and trying to talk to other folks. Well, did, was anybody in this condition and survived? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find a single example. So, oh, interesting. So I wanted to have an example that people could say, okay, yeah, my loved one is on a ventilator. They're saying that the odds aren't good for survival, but you know, here's a, here's a case where they survived. It might not be the average, but mm -hmm. possible. Just thinking about that, because so, I've shared your lessons a few times, uh, mostly on the side of, um, so I started my MBA with the Jack Welch Management Institute online. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so, you know, part of the online forum is, is a discussion um, board. And one of the one of the students was doing sort of a marketing plan for a patient advocacy uh, organization. So I turned, tried to turn them on to your book. Some of your lessons are, were to uh, advocate for uh, Becca when she was there. So, um, on the, on the flip side, like what you just said, that it is interesting that, you know, how, how do you, how, I guess, how do you get that anecdote in front of most people who are trying to find it? Uh, that's, that's gotta be tough. So there's a, uh, I guess a, a message distribution channel that, um, more people have to find somehow, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think so much of it is it's, it's, it's like, so many different businesses where you're like trying to go out there and you're connecting with people. And if the pr people that I'm trying to get my message to are either family caregivers or people with uh, loved ones that have CF or some kind of a chronic illness or cancer or something along those lines, you know, I found myself going on to caregiver websites, going on to CF forums and just just interacting with folks and just kind of sharing, you know, some of uh, uh, some of our story and some of what I learned from it. And I found that was probably the most effective way to at least get our story out there. Mm -hmm. So where's Becca in this? You know, I see her, I mean, she's obviously the, the, um, the main body of the story, but you're, uh, how do I put it? I mean, this is your thing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the, the book and, and everything. And she's there and she's obviously supporting you. Um, how, how does, how does she figure to what level is it? Does she need to uh, devote energy to the work you're doing? Um, I would say only when she needs to, you know, only when she chooses to, I'll say, mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when we first got together, I kind of looked at, uh, the CF foundation and volunteering, getting, getting involved with that as something that we could do together when she was ready. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I approach her, I say, Hey, you know, there's a, there's an event, there's a walk, there's an activity, whatever it is. If you want to get involved, I'd be happy to get involved with you. And she never really was that interested. And I, then it occurred to me when I got involved with Milwaukee's Finest and had an opportunity to do some fundraising and things on my own that she didn't need to be involved. She had enough to deal with with working and dealing with the illness 
And even now, she's got enough to deal with with recovering from her transplant and just getting through the day with all the side effects that she deals with from the medications. And I feel like she can be involved with whatever at whatever level she wants. And she mm-hmm. comes to some event, events and she likes to be there for uh, some of my talks. But beyond that, I don't want to put added pressure on her to be involved. And, you know, she's happy to be involved, you know, at a certain level. And that's good. So, um, yeah, like even when I wrote my book, you know, she was really happy to help me proofread it. But she wasn't, um, you know, she didn't want to write a chapter in it or anything along those lines. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I also gave her the right to um, veto anything that I wanted to put or the, anything that she didn't want in the book. Right. So I felt like between those things, you know, she can be involved as much or as little as she wants. She selected that. And, you know, it's actually worked out just fine with the way we've got everything going on here. You know, it's it gives me quite a bit to do being involved with the foundation. But at the same time, she can kind of step in and step out as she sees fit. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah, I was um, curious as to how that worked, because at some point it's like, OK, my I wonder she's there. It's about her. Um but how much of this does she want to be about her <laughs> you know, at some point? And I'm actually amazed at what did not get edited from, from the book, you know, for something so far. And I'm sure I've gone through your trials and tribulations of, uh, well, mostly, um, trials, um, for whether or not you want to get married and how you wanted to get married and, and, uh, and, you know, your attempts for, uh, children and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's all, that's very early in the book. So, um, so, all right, let's, so let's, let's, get back to some of the stuff here i have here you mentioned things about the families with folks families with loved ones in the hospital and one of the things you're trying to promote is this hospital comfort kit so uh, tell us a little bit about that sure well when we were in the hospital everybody that was reaching out to us was saying we'll do anything what do you need just let us know what would help and we had no answers like Mm -hmm. in particular i was always trying to think of something. And I kept coming up with a blank and it was like, well, you know, just knowing that you're there for us is great. And then they would send us flowers or they would send us candy. And it was, we'd appreciate it because Rebecca loves flowers and you know, the candy, it was great to have a little snack or a little pick me up. And it, and it tells you that people are thinking of you. So we appreciated those, but you know, after a couple of months in the hospital, you know, I, I ate way too much candy and Uh you're stuck in this hospital room And you're looking over at the fiddle faddle in the closet and it's just like, all right, enough candy. And then I started to think about, you know, the things that we were doing that were really helpful and the the gifts that we received that were really helpful and items that we brought in. Now, people with CF typically come into the hospital with a big bag of, you know, items to, you know, changes of clothes, video games, all sorts of stuff. And it just occurred to me that, boy, it would be great for people, especially those that aren't familiar with long hospital stays, to get a bag, a basket that was geared toward being stuck in the hospital. So mm-hmm. I started to put this kit together and it was a lot of stuff that we received when we were in the hospital. It's a little Bluetooth speaker. That's not a big, large one that you would have at home. Uh, it's, you know, it's something that's convenient that fits on your, on your shelf. We've got a water bottle. It all comes in a cooler because again, you're you're stuck in a hospital and you're on their schedule and sometimes you want something that's cold or you're bringing things back for your loved one back and forth from home and you want to bring something you know like 
uh, ice cream or something from home, whether it's uh, lunch meat or something along those lines. And it's handy to have a cooler, you know, back scratcher, chapstick, you know, all of these different things were just items that, that we learned were really helpful to have. And then on top of that, I kind of wrote out a hospital survival guide with, you know, with identification for items that we didn't include in the kit that they may want to bring from home, like a pillow, you know, but bring one with a different pillowcase so it doesn't get taken by the, uh, by the staff when they go to change things around. So, you know, so it was really just kind of, it started out as just a brainstorm of, you know, what people need in the hospital room. And then it kind of ended up as, Hey, what a better thing to supply than flowers will supply this hospital survival kit. So that was kind of where the idea started. So that the gives the the uh, recognition of thoughts and, and prayers, but also some utility, <laughs> I guess, at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The focus is practicality. Yep. Utility. All right. So you say that'll be available in late May? Yes. It'll be available in late May. We're actually ordering our, um, our first round of uh, inventory now. We've already gone through the process to select all the suppliers get the logo not nailed down and yeah, we'll be getting our uh, first round of inventory uh, within two weeks. All right. Very good. All right. So let's talk, talk a little bit about your public speaking. So how did you really start to get into public speaking? Well, I really got into it more when I finished the book and I wanted to spread the message of the book. You know, I wanted to share the things that I learned and I felt that the book was a good way for me to organize them but we don't always have, you know, we don't always have the time to get through all the books that we want to read. And I felt like a great way to deliver that was to deliver that in a speech, deliver that in even, you know, the same way you're doing with a podcast, to be able to get out there and have a way you can listen to it and you can get these m- multiple messages out there. And um, I was excited to get a chance to start speaking at a lot of CF Foundation events, and I just learned that it was something that I enjoyed doing, and just to the nature of developing a speech and just trying to pull one point out of there and let people walk away with, with one idea had some value, and that's, that's really kind of what hooked me. Okay, so you're, so the CF Foundation was kind of your entree into this? Yes. So they typically bring... Uh, people with CF or family members into some of their big fundraising events and have them just explain what life with CF is like, some of the challenges they faced, some of the issues. And there, once that explanation is done, people are usually much more motivated to say, hey, I want to get involved with a foundation. I want to donate. I want to, I understand now how challenging this is because this person's up there telling me about it. So as I started to write some of my initial speeches, they were they were pretty pretty straightforward. There was there was less of a theme, and it was more of, "Hey, this is some stuff that happened with us uh, to us. Isn't that bad?" You know. Mm-hmm. And it was it was interesting to me because I was able to kind of walk through some of the challenges that Rebecca had, and people walked away with a better understanding of it. And kind of as the as the time went on, and I continued to stay involved with the foundation. Of course, Rebecca became sicker, and our story became even more intense when we would share it. And it was, um, I found it a nice opportunity just to get out there and connect with a bunch of different people that were just starting to get involved with the foundation and give them a face to it and a better understanding. So it sounds like it wasn't just for you. It wasn't just a, uh, a forum to 
start speaking and 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 share a message but uh sounds like also quite a bit of a uh, support group definitely definitely and it, you know it was it was it was good for us to have the opportunity to share our story and it felt good to get it out there because before we had done speaking about it rebecca hadn't really told many people that she suffered from cf it really took getting involved with the cf foundation and recognizing that it could be helpful in other ways that brought us into a higher level of involvement and then once we got involved to see the impact that had not only with uh, fundraising, but just with people that didn't understand what CF was about and that got a better understanding after we after we talked to them. And that, to me, was uh, what made telling stories so powerful. So it just occurred to me, and I'm wondering how, how you are, deal with this. So you've, you've got a story, and you, you've gotten quite used to, to telling it in a, in a certain way, for sure, which I imagine makes other people want to share their story, and, and some of them are probably quite tragic. In what what way and what is the right response for when you're trying to listen to someone's tragic story? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to just trying to understand it. You know, having empathy, understanding that they're sharing something with you that they don't tell everybody. Mm-hmm. And they're sharing that trust with you. And the idea is just, I don't need to compete with your story. I just need to understand your story. I can ask questions about it. You know, obviously, um, you're willing to share if you're willing to share that story with me, you're comfortable with me at least engaging with you about that. And I found actually after writing the book, the thing that I liked the most was that so many people reached out and told me their stories and you get you, you can connect with people on a deeper level after, you know, you share something that's that's pretty intense and it's very personal and to be able to hear from a CF parent to have them come up to you and be like, oh, I read your story. You know, I'm I'm concerned about my child that has CF. This is what we've dealt with. And in so many ways, you can empathize with them because in a lot of ways, like with other people, like with other diseases, these diseases catch people off guard the same way a parent with CF, when they first get that diagnosis, it catches them right. off guard. You know, for me, I had a little bit of an easier way into it where I started dating Rebecca. I learned early on that she had CF and then I obviously it bothered me and I watched it progress, but I didn't have quite the same experience. So, so much of it is just recognizing they have a different experience. Just listen to it and try to try to empathize. Right. Hey, thanks for that. I know basically a lot of the questions I've just been asking are out of my curiosity and how to well, how to deal well with the trials of humanity uh, I think they apply to the office, but uh, more t- more to the point, I think let's get to it. Uh, we're calling this one Speaking Upwards, and uh, this is about your your path through public speaking and how to try to bring it back to the careers of uh, Lean and Six Sigma and project management and those in business. So I thought maybe we'd go through your career and, and how public speaking uh, evolved over that time. Sure. Thanks for listening to episode 198 of the E6S Methods podcast. Stay tuned for part two of Speaking Upwards with TEDxer Raymond Poole in episode 199, Public Speaking. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comments section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at E6S-Methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, and share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? 
join our LinkedIn group, and tell us why. Don't forget, you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.